right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. You're listening to American Shadows, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild from Aaron Mankey. Listener discretion advised. It's beautiful, she told her husband. It was Christmas time in Paris, 1898, but Marie and Pierre weren't looking at the glow of Paris city lights and soft snowfall. The couple were inside a dilapidated brick building that purchased as a makeshift laboratory, sitting on well-worn chairs at an odd wooden work table littered with an array of flimsy wires, scopes, and cheap instruments. A radiant, almost magical light broke the darkness surrounding them, and Marie found the luminescent glow captivating. Having married just three years earlier, when Marie was 27 and Pierre was 36, the two didn't have a lot of money. Yet, despite the tottering chairs, odd work tables, and the isolation chamber made out of wooden grocery crates, the couple couldn't be happier. Science had brought them together, and their love of it had become an intimate bond between them. So Marie looked on, the beautiful, gleaming object still nestled deep within one of her pockets, the shimmering glow bright enough to allow Pierre to jot down a single word in their notebook. They chose a name for it after the Latin word for ray. They called it radium. Before long, though, this new discovery would enchant more than just the Curies. The whole world was about to encounter a scientific miracle, and, soon enough, interest in it would transform into obsession. But, as we're about to find out, not all obsessions are good for us. I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. Welcome to American Shadows. It all started back in February of 1898. Marie and Pierre had immersed themselves in their lab. Marie began working with a heavy black substance known as pitch blend, noting that the naturally occurring mineral contained uranium. After that uranium had been removed, though, the material left behind was still highly radioactive. When she studied those remains, Marie discovered an unknown luminous element. The couple worked tirelessly. Days after completing their notes, the Curies announced their discovery to the French Academy of Sciences on December 26, 1898, and radium quickly became a breakthrough discovery. The substance destroyed human tissue, but as ghastly as that sounds, Scientists around the world would soon put that property to use in the fight against cancer. Radium didn't disappoint, either. Its effect on cancerous tumors proved nothing short of astounding. Newspapers printed articles that speculated on everything, from the use of radium as fertilizer to supercharge the growth of crops, to using it to make brilliantly glowing candies and shimmering cocktails. There were seemingly practical uses, too. Companies marketed paint for reflective house numbers, Radium Christmas tree lights were touted as being much safer than candles. Glowing light switches made it easier to find them in a dark room. In certain pharmacies, people bought radium-laced pills and bandages. 
new types of clinics and spas opened up, promising a variety of radium-induced health benefits, if you could afford them, that is. In 1904, a Manhattan-based company produced a patented health water called Liquid Sunshine. The same company also created and sold a glow-in-the-dark ink. Another company made glow-in-the-dark eyes for children's toys. Now, creepy glowing doll eyes in the middle of the night aside, Radium's luminescence was indeed stunningly beautiful, and other products soon followed. Drinks, elixirs, salt, soaps, and even suppositories. Many products claimed Radium cured everything from acne to warts and just about every ailment in between. For the general public, though, most of these products were a sham. Most didn't contain any Radium at all because the stuff was outrageously expensive. In 1915, a gram of radium cost $84,500. That's $1.9 million in today's economy, making it one of the most expensive elements on Earth in its day. So, as you might expect, only the super-rich were able to purchase anything with much radium in it. That didn't stop the wave of products or the people who clamored for them, though. Radium toothpaste promised to dazzle smiles, intensifying the brightness with every brushing. Radior Cosmetics sold creams, rouge, and powders designed to restore that youthful glow. Companies made radium butter and radium milk. Even clothing like lingerie and jock straps boasted radium to boost virility. No wonder officials began to warn citizens to be on the lookout for radium scams. Companies found instant wealth in radium. Factories cropped up to meet the demand for radium-enhanced products, and they didn't just build factories in cities. Factories were built in the suburbs, too. Radium seemed to be everywhere, and demand for it skyrocketed. While more and more commercial products continued to emerge, medical science, enamored with radium's groundbreaking use for cancer, researched the element's impact on other diseases. Sick patients began to call for treatment with radium. Doctors even wondered if radium might help them not only treat cancer, but actually cure it. In the early 1900s, radium was referred to as one of history's greatest finds. In 1903, Marie Curie became the first woman to win the Nobel Prize in Physics. In 1911, she was awarded a second Nobel Prize, making her the first scientist to win two of these awards. Radium prompted the U.S. Surgeon General at the time to say that the element reminded him of a mythological superbeing. An English physician called radium the unknown god, Some had even said radium had been predicted in the Bible. Within a few short years, radium's future grew to be the new bright and shiny object, bigger and brighter than a full moon on a clear night. And the world, mesmerized by its brilliance and allure, couldn't get enough. But, as it turned out, Marie's beautiful, glowing miracle had a darker side. Radium occurs naturally in our soil, groundwater, food, in small doses, usually one picogram or less per gram of soil. For perspective, Marie Curie sifted through tons of pitch blend just to find one-tenth of a gram of radium. Without getting too technical, the amount of radium would contact through soil is probably negligible. Still, radium is about a million times more radioactive than uranium. In much larger amounts, though, Radium can cause anemia, cataracts, fractured teeth, ulcerated skin, lung cancer, and various forms of bone cancers like leukemia. While the Curies knew about radioactive material, 
little was understood about the long-term effects on humans. And sure, radium could destroy tumors, but it also killed off healthy tissue as well. But who could fault them? The Curies were physicists, after all, not physicians. Besides, tests for radium exposure simply didn't exist then. In 1917, the end of World War I was still a year away. In the United States, patriotism was as common as apple pie, the economy was booming, and women took jobs in factories while the men were off fighting in the war. The popularity of radium was still soaring. A company called the U.S. Radium Corporation patented Undark, a glowing paint made from radium. While they specialized in watch and clock dials, they'd also signed a profitable contract with the U.S. government to use Undark on gun sites and ship compasses for nighttime use. U.S. Radium set up shop in Orange, New Jersey, right in the middle of a residential neighborhood. Huge windows surrounded the two-story brick building, and more light streamed in from above. All that light was both charming and perfect for painting. And while they painted dials and instruments, the women workers enjoyed a beautiful view of the neighborhood. U.S. Radium hired single immigrants, Italian mostly. They paid them well, too, often three times more than factory workers. The women brought home $370 a week, which was just over $19,000 a year. The fast ones, though, they often doubled that, making them the top 5% of female wage earners. Painting dials became a highly sought-after dream job. Demand for luminescent dials continued to grow. When U.S. Radium needed more painters, the girls told their family and friends. Soon, almost 375 women sat shoulder-to-shoulder painting dials. The women used fine camel hair brushes to paint the small watch dials. The bristles often separated after the application of radium powder, glue, and water. To solve this, the girls licked the tip of the brush and used their lips to smooth the fibers into a fine point. Now, you and I wouldn't imagine doing such a thing, but the company assured the women that the mixture was perfectly safe. Besides, the method of lip pointing was just how it was done. Lip pointing allowed the women to work faster. Faster work meant more products. When their workday ended, the girls would paint their nails, lips, and teeth with radium powder, and then meet their dates for an evening out. Everyone knew them. As they walked out into the night, they simply glowed. But soon enough, the girls began to get sick. And not just a little sick, either. In 1922, Grace Fryer, who'd left two years earlier, lost several teeth. Dentists began to treat a large number of young girls with abscesses and rotting jaws. When one dentist asked U.S. Radium for the paint's formula, they refused. Dr. Kniff treated Molly, a young girl who complained that the pain in her face had become unbearable. Gently, Dr. Kniff pressed a finger to Molly's jaw, accidentally causing the bone to break. When he looked inside her mouth, he discovered a piece of exposed bone. All he had to do was lift the fragment from her mouth. A week later, Dr. Kniff simply pulled out the remainder of Molly's lower jaw. No incisions or operation required. Other dentists experienced similar issues with their patients. One doctor reported a case of poisoning by phosphorus to the Industrial Hygiene Division on December 26, 1922. Upon visiting U.S. Radium's factory, the inspector called attention to the technique of lip pointing. I've warned them it's dangerous, Harold Veit, U.S. Radium's vice president, told the inspector, 
as they watched the girls put the brushes to their lips again and again. I've told them repeatedly, but they won't stop. This was, of course, a direct contradiction to telling the girls the material was absolutely harmless. Yet, four months earlier, they had written an internal article on the dangers of radium, and it wasn't the first, either. The company later admitted ten such internal memos existed, some dating back to 1906. In the end, the Public Health Service's report found only a couple of cases with side effects connected to the radium paint, one case of skin erosion and one case of anemia. The Health Service's formal recommendation? Take care when handling radium. What that meant was vague at best. Meanwhile, and despite the investigation, women continued to die the most gruesome of deaths. Deaths, the company claimed, were due to syphilis. Doctors and dentists didn't agree, and felt certain that the women were dying from radium. They called for U.S. radium to shut down. Complaints to the Department of Labor and the public health services fell on deaf ears, though. Even a letter asking for help from the National Consumers League went unanswered. No one, it seemed, cared much about the health or working conditions of the young women. An independent study in 1924 found a direct correlation between radium and the deaths and illnesses of the women. Outraged, U.S. radium paid researchers to prove radium's safety. The company's president also claimed the women were attempting to extract money from the company for their health issues. Still, the rumors flew. And when two doctors from the Harvard School of Public Health asked U.S. radium's president if they could do a case study, he saw an opportunity. After interviewing chemists and 25 women painters, the Harvard doctors delivered their report. Two weeks later, Veit handed over part of the Harvard report to the Department of Labor, claiming the report clearly showed that employee blood work was perfectly normal. That was only part of the report, though. Harvard had a table for each ingredient used. Veit removed the report on radium, which concluded enough evidence regarding overexposure. When the Harvard doctors caught wind of the omission, they decided to publish their own report. As you can imagine, this didn't go over well with Veit. He threatened a lawsuit on behalf of U.S. Radium, claiming the Harvard doctors had signed a confidentiality contract. And meanwhile, the women kept dying. In 1925, another U.S. Radium employee died. This time was different, officials took notice. The employee, you see, was male. Shortly after the new investigation started, a new doctor assigned to the case finally found proof that the women had overexposure to radium. Not only were their bodies emitting radiation, but the material was punching holes in their bones. Grace Fryer, who had experienced earlier tooth loss, now had a deteriorating spine. Another girl's jawbone had disintegrated into nothing more than a stump. The doctors even determined that the women's legs were shortening from bone loss. And one woman, upon looking at herself in the mirror one night, noticed that her skin actually glowed in the dark. All of this sounds horrific, and yes, it was. But the radiation wasn't done with the women their illnesses would continue to worsen over time. Grace Fryer knew this is how she would die. 
According to the doctors, there was no cure, no slowing the radiation inside her. So she decided to take on U.S. radium in court. For two years, she searched for an attorney to take the case. Finally, on May 18th of 1927, a young lawyer named Raymond Barry accepted her case, filing the suit on Grace's behalf, entirely on contingency. Four more women soon joined her, Edna Hussman, Catherine Schaub, and sisters Quinta McDonald and Albina Larice. Each woman asked for $250,000 for medical expenses and compensation. There were obstacles to overcome, though. The first, New Jersey's two-year statute of limitations. The second, living long enough to see the case through. U.S. Radium responded to Barry's filing, first by attacking his character, and then by going to the bar and threatening charges. Barry remained undaunted, though. Medical examiners in both New York and New Jersey were looking into employee deaths. And, of course, there were newspaper reporters. Once the story leaked to the press, it became a front-page headline. Day after day, the papers printed a new story. The women's suffering, U.S. Radium's defense, speculation on how the women would spend their quarter-million-dollar windfall if they won, and even stories about the effects of radium and how much longer the women had to live. It's hard to imagine what it was like for those women, knowing they would die, but still reading headlines that all but predicted it. The newspapers reported Barry's stance on his client's health. He said, When you have heard that you are going to die, that there is no hope, and every newspaper you pick up prints what really amounts to your obituary, there is nothing else. U.S. Radium managed to keep the case going through 1927, all while each of the defendants' health predictably worsened. In January of 1928, Grace and the other women became so sick that raising their arms to take the oath in court proved impossible. In April, their health deteriorated to the point they could no longer attend court hearings. Hearing this news, Marie Curie offered her deepest condolences. Regrettably, she confirmed that there was no cure, no way of destroying or removing radium once in the body. Curie went on to strongly suggest that changing the way radium was handled was imperative for the safety of those working with it. The radium girls, who'd held out hope for so long, were grief-stricken. The case between U.S. Radium and the women ultimately became a waiting game. The company used one delay tactic after another. On April 25th of 1928, despite Barry's objections, the judge postponed the case until September. The reason? U.S. Radium's witnesses planned on vacationing in Europe all summer long. Barry's worst fears seemed to be coming true. U.S. Radium was stalling. The company was hedging their bets that the women would die before the trial. Public support for the women soared. The Radium girls' plight continued to dominate the headlines. Pictures of Grace and the others being wheeled in and out of court shocked the nation, and photos of the damage done to them enraged the public. U.S. Radium, in an attempt to subdue public outcry, hired a consultant from Columbia University to run tests and hold a press conference on its findings. Consultant Frederick Flynn stood before a crowd of spectators and press and declared that the women could survive their illnesses, and even more unbelievably, that his tests showed no trace of radioactivity in the women. The press turned to the women's lawyer for a response. Again, Barry remained undaunted, he simply replied he'd see U.S. radium in court. 
With continued public outrage and pressure on the New Jersey court system, the trial date was moved up to early June of 1928. Meanwhile, sympathy cards inundated the women's homes, along with letters from scammers looking to profit from the women, claiming they had a cure. With growing empathy and compassion from the public, going to court started to look a lot less favorable to U.S. radium. A judge offered to mediate, and the company sat down with Barry to negotiate a settlement. Within days of the trial, they reached an agreement. Each of the women would get just $10,000 up front and a $600 yearly annuity. The company also agreed to pay all their current and future medical expenses. In doing so, though, U.S. Radium became the first company in American history to be held responsible for the health of their employees. For the Radium Girls, the settlement was a far cry from $250,000. Some of the women died within months of the agreement. Grace Fryer passed away a few years later at the age of 34, her spine shattered and all her teeth gone. She was unable to even sit without a back brace to hold her upright. It may sound like justice wasn't fully served, and maybe that's true. The women paid the ultimate price, after all, and their deaths had been nothing short of brutal. But their legacy has outlived them. Five women stood up to a Goliath corporation. Their case set the precedent for suits involving environmental cancers and even helped form occupational hazard law for employees, laws that are still saving lives today. Grace and the others lost their lives to it, but radium would never match their grit or inner glow or be as fierce as they turned out to be. They truly were the Radium Girls. Marie Curie knew a lot about tenacity and grit. She lost Pierre in 1906 to an unfortunate accident. Dedicated to serving science and helping others, Marie used her skills and resources during World War I to invent portable X-rays for use in the field, called, affectionately, Little Curies. Later, Marie joined forces with Albert Einstein and Max Planck at the Congress of Physics, where the trio discussed groundbreaking discoveries in their field. Marie's love of her glowing radium became her life's work. She understood radium's power, and that just because it occurred naturally didn't mean that it was altogether safe. Although she saw the promise, the good, in radium, others wielded the other side of the sword, using it for profit and at great cost to others. Marie Curie lived to be 66, passing away on July 4th of 1934 from aplastic anemia, caused, of course, by radiation. As a woman scientist, she overcame a lot of obstacles, and her enduring spirit still serves as an inspiration to other women in the field. Her daughter Irene became a physicist, and her granddaughter became a nuclear physicist. Countless educational and research facilities also bear her name, including the Curie Institute. In 1995, officials moved Marie's remains to the Pantheon in Paris, where she became the first woman ever to be buried among the greatest minds of France. Her notebooks are also considered both a national and scientific treasure. They're kept safe in France's National Library in Paris. You're not likely to see them, though, not without signing a liability waiver and wearing protective gear. You see, Marie's notebooks are still highly radioactive, as are her physical remains, and they will be for a very long time, until the year 3534. There's more to this story, 
Stick around after the brief sponsor break to hear all about it. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Eben Byers had it all. He was the president of the world's largest steel corporation, the A.M. Byers Company in Pittsburgh, and a well-known former professional golfer. But while celebrating aboard a party train after a Harvard-Yale football game in 1927, he injured an arm in a fall. Upon returning home, he followed up with his physician. His doctor recommended a drink to help him heal. Radithor was made by Bailey Radium Laboratories in East Orange, New Jersey, and it boasted all the benefits of radium in a convenient drink. Thinking more was better, Byers drank three of the two-ounce bottles a day, every day. The drink was extremely expensive, as you might guess, but Byers could easily afford it. At first, he felt invigorated, so much so that he bought cases of Radithor for his colleagues. He owned racehorses, and he made sure they were given Radithor, too. Byers, having once been known for his smooth moves with the ladies, found that Radithor helped him regain his virility as well. Naturally, his many girlfriends also had plentiful stashes of the drink. The guy was rich. Things went well for Byers, until his teeth began to fall out in 1930. After he complained, the Federal Trade Commission sent an investigator out to his estate. Amid the extravagant setting, they couldn't have been met with a more grisly sight. Half of Byers' face had disintegrated. Two small teeth jutted from his upper jaw, and his lower jaw and chin had decomposed. Bandages wrapped his head to cover the holes, large enough to see his brain. And, much like the radium girls, bones throughout his body had disintegrated as well. Yes, Eben Byers was still alive. Speaking, as you can imagine, was difficult for him. He'd endured two surgeries already, one to remove most of his decayed upper jaw, and another to remove a part of the lower portion. Still, he managed to testify about Radithor. 
the FTC filed a cease and desist letter to Bailey Radium Laboratories on December 19, 1931. Not only did the government want the company to stop claiming the drink had therapeutic value, they wanted them to stop promising that it was harmless. The manufacturer didn't fight like U.S. Radium had. After the testimony of Eben Byers, the company stopped making Radithor entirely. Later on, the founder claimed he went out of business due to depression and not anything to do with the FTC's investigation. When Eben Byers passed away in 1932, the press covered it extensively. Being wealthy and well-connected had made Byers a celebrity of sorts. And having died from radiation poisoning, he was buried in a coffin lined with lead. And his death spurred the 1938 Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act, which outlawed deceptive packaging. In 1965, 33 years after Byers' death, an MIT scientist exhumed the man's remains. Byers' skeleton still contained the same amount of radiation as the day he died. Like Marie Curie and the Radium Girls, his remains will be radioactive for centuries to come. American Shadows is hosted by Lauren Vogelbaum. This episode was written by Michelle Muto with researcher Robin Miniter and produced by Miranda Hawkins and Trevor Young with executive producers Aaron Mankey, Alex Williams, and Matt Frederick. To learn more about the show, visit GrimAndMile.com. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.